President Biden will participate in the traditional presidential pre-Super Bowl interview on Sunday. It's a great way to keep the nation informed and make Tom Brady seem young. Hey! Um, so coming up in about a half an hour or so, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll just, I'll tell you how this unfolded. So I reached out to Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer, a couple of weeks ago, said, who would be good to talk, we're asking the question, can you just fire the damn teachers? Who would be good to talk to about that? He gave us a name, uh, who's a lawyer, who knows about this sort of stuff, and we're going to talk to him coming up in about a half an hour. So, I mean, because if, if, if the teachers won't go back in the classroom, whether it's their union or what, what I, I don't care what the reason is. The rubber meets in the road, and is the kid in school learning or not? And if they're not, something's got to change. And if you won't go back, got to get ready and get somebody who'll do it. CDC says, get back and teach. Safe. Liberal mayors say, get back and teach. It's safe. Liberal governors, go ahead and teach. It's safe. You don't show up for work, you get fired. Yeah. But anyway, we'll see what the uh, possibilities are on that. I feel like there's been a tipping point reached. We've got a lot more details on that. These kind of headlines are driving me crazy on that topic. Um, This is the governor of California, but there's lots of this sort of stuff across the country, including Joe Biden himself. Newsom wants to see the return of youth high school sports. And then I'll see a headline like, Joe Biden promises to get kids back in school. But it's always with, uh, if we get them this many more billions of dollars, which is not needed. They could go back six months ago, or a month ago, or last week, or today. Just could, but they're not. I heard one outraged parent, and I can't remember what state, what district it was, and it doesn't matter because they're all singing from the same righteous hymnal, saying, don't give us another action plan, because when it gets to the date you're supposed to be open, you always postpone it again. Open the damn schools. Yeah, well, what my, I didn't make it clear enough. It drives me crazy that politicians get away with saying, I want the kids back in school. The schools need to open. As soon as they get the $35 billion that will go through this legislation that will pass in a couple of weeks, and they get credit for being on the side of opening the schools. Right. Even though there's already $48 billion sitting on the sidelines unspent, you don't need that money. The uh, private schools are open, et cetera. Latest numbers on the vaccine, by the way. So far, 35 million doses have been given. Uh, in the last week, an average of 1.34 million doses per day were administered. Still not fast enough. Right, right. Yeah, we got a nice note from the always thoughtful uh, Kevin in Placerville, California, though, talking about the COVID. And um, he says, some will say this ends when we reach COVID zero and we've eradicated the disease from the face of the earth for good. That's a fool's errand, likely not even possible and would destroy what's left of the world's economy. And it's counterproductive. Uh, He says the disease will continue to spread around the world and become the fifth endemic coronavirus that we deal with rather easily every cold flu season. Uh, We're already seeing the trend. He points out some of the local stats. Once the elderly are vaccinated, natural immunity continues to build to 30 to 50 percent in some places. We'll see we'll no longer see pandemic waves of infection. With our most vulnerable protected by some form of immunity, the need for lockdown measures to whatever extent there were any ceased to exist. And look to Florida. They're getting more and more normal as we enter the spring and summer. Cases continue to subside. Vaccinations continue to increase along with natural immunity. And he thinks, well, there will be a spike in a hot spot here and there. They'll be localized and uh, much less deadly than we're seeing now. I hope he's right. My goodness, it's, it's a breath of fresh air to even hear somebody express that. And it's, it's, you know, it's pretty well researched. I'm, I'm looking at all the stats and everything. Uh, I hope he's right. 
Super Bowl this Sunday. What my one of my son's friends from school has a birthday party at one o'clock on Sunday. Uh, I'm that's clear on the concept. Uh, now kickoff is usually what three thirty Pacific. Uh, I think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, I I you know if you're not into sports particularly, you wouldn't even think about it. But like. And I don't, I'm not as into sports as I used to be, so it doesn't bother me. But like a few years ago and most of my life, the what now? You're doing what on Super Bowl Sunday? I'll tell you what I'm doing on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm going to have, I'm going to be by the TV for roughly seven hours. When I was at my hardest core as a 49ers fan, when young Colin Kaepernick was sprinting all over the field and standing for the anthem, <laughs> uh, and they were in the Super Bowl, my, uh, my sainted uh, father in law passed away. And his uh, two other children, not my wife, decided that uh, how about uh, two weeks from Sunday for the memorial service? That happened to be Super Bowl Sunday. And so I was uh, I was in Chicagoland for the memorial service for a fine fellow indeed. And then I had to essentially wear blinders and earplugs on the flight all the way through the airport till I could get home to the DVR and watch the game delayed and watch them lose, by the way. So don't schedule anything on Super Bowl Sunday. Even if you don't care, somebody you love does. First and goal. Oh, let's see. Never gave the ball to Gore. Let's see. Let's have one of the mediocre passers in the league uh, throw three consecutive (laughs) passes. Never forget. Never forget. So they're obsessed with this stuff in the Beltway, but uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the wacky doodle Republican from Georgia, uh, the Democrats want to strip her of her committee assignments, which is really not a thing. Um, the Republicans have told her to pipe down. and I think just, what they uh, want is to have her hang around for as long as possible to try to make her the face of the Republican Party. That's what right. they really want. They'd love it if she stayed in the committees. and Look right. at the Republican Party. Look who they've got on a committee. A QAnon crazy. Racist ignoramuses. In the same way, the Republicans have tried to hang the the squad around Nancy Pelosi's neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? There are some parallels. The squad are not nearly as pos- uh, as powerful as you'd think oh, because they get so much close. media time. Not even not, close. No, they're they're social media darlings. Um, but likely, likewise, the uh, the QAnon types in the Republican Party. It's not a lot of power there. There's not a lot of mass there. Um, but it's uh, it's an it's it's interesting and sexy, and it's not an insignificant number of people. On the other hand, what does it have to do with you and your life and your taxes and your kids' lives and education and agriculture and, and every other thing that the, the uh, federal government's supposed to deal with? Nothing. Nothing. I would have thought there was nothing I could still be interested in about the presidential election, but a breakdown was made of the voting based on how close you are to a Whole Foods versus a Cracker Barrel. Oh, wow. How well, that's close, a comparison. How close you are to an Apple store as opposed to a tractor supply. You can pick, figure out how people are going to vote based on these stores. It's pretty dang interesting. And before we take a break, this. The over-under is two minutes on the National Anthem, if you want to bet. Will Eric Church and Jasmine Sullivan sing the National Anthem in less than two minutes, yes or no? That seems pretty zippy to me, but I guess usually it's around like a minute 40, minute 50. So since 1990, the average has been about uh, a minute 54. Look at me oh. guessing correctly. But it's trending well, upwards. Look, look at the guy who knows the average length of Super Bowl national anthems. But it's been trending. What a handy stat to have. Do I know the pin to get into my bank account? <laughs> no, I don't. 
Back to you, Sean. It's trending upwards uh, since 2010. The average time is two minutes flat. Hmm. Sing the dang song. First verse to the tune of that old hymn it was set to. No extra. Now you got, you got to run the scale. A lot of chromatic runs. That's no, what I'm looking for. No, no. Francis Scott Key, if he were here, he would smite you with his mighty, I don't know what he had, a pen, I guess. He was a poet. Um, it's, 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 Hasn't it's he been canceled, song. Francis Scott Key? His name was taken off a of school in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, that's canceled. right. Yes. Yeah. Canceled. <laughs> How soon? That That's the next one. That's the next one. How soon till to, to, till from a significant event the national anthem is removed? That's got to be uh, the next on the list, right? Within six months. Yeah, yeah. The very opening line: "Oh, say can you see?" It's ableist. Absolutely. It's 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 sightist. It, 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 it eliminates the blind from the conversation. Why don't you just trip a blind person if you're going to sing that in front of them? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Huh? All right. Why don't you go down to the old folks' home and wax the steps? You find that sort of stuff funny. Huh? That's what I'm saying. Alicia Keys had the longest national anthem, two minutes and 36 seconds. Hour and a half. <laughs> Who enjoys that? Who wants that? Is Everybody cons- can have for that. That's what I'm saying. Who's the constituency for the painfully long anthem? <laughs> Is there anybody who actually likes it? How about the fastest anthem if you got through it in like 18 seconds? Aaron Neville had a plane to catch because he was a minute 25 in there 1990. You there you go, Aaron Neville. Huh? And that's plenty of time. Yes. You got all the words and everything. Um... If you live near a, an Apple store, you vote this way. If you near, live near a tractor supply, you vote this way. That's probably pretty obvious. Some of them aren't quite as obvious. Yeah, it's a charming illustration of what ought to be known by every single voter and politician in America. Different people in different places have different needs from their government. What now? Quit trying to demonize each other, huh? you numbskulls. I thought it was yeah. just based on whether or not you're a racist. Of course, maybe only <laughs> racists shop at those stores or something. That's right. Know. The racist, racist Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Stay here. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Really cool looking Joe Montana Guinness beer ad that's going to run on the Super Bowl. And now they're interviewing him. Well, that's where we are with ads. They give you the ad before the Super Bowl, then interview the person that was in in the ad, so you just absolutely get no enjoyment out of it. Actually, come Super Bowl Sunday. Oh well. Mm-hmm. Um, going to talk uh, school policy coming up. Can we fire the teachers? Among other questions, in a little bit. I thought this was interesting. The Cook Political Report dug into the numbers from the presidential election. Um, and learned some things. And I promise you, this isn't boring. Now, this could be boring. I suppose to some people, but I think in general, this is not a boring political conversation. Um, There's a high correlation between voting patterns in proximity to or distance from Whole Foods and Cracker Barrel. In 2016, Trump won 76% of counties that had a Cracker Barrel, but only 22% of counties that had a Whole Foods. Wow. I guess there aren't that many counties that have both. Apparently not. Um... I think my county is one of them. Of course, it's a geographically enormous county that runs from suburbs to just wilderness. West Virginia, for instance, where Joe Manchin is from, has 12 Cracker Barrels. But if you go to the Whole Foods locator, West Virginia doesn't even show up in the drop-down menu because they don't have one in the entire state. Wow. Giving you an idea of where things are you know, with, with Trump and Joe Manchin. 
Huh. Anyway, similar correlations between other upmarket establishments that they call, uh, that's what they call Apple stores, Lululemon, Urban Outfitters, and then down-home businesses, which they refer to as uh, Tractor Supply, Bass Pro Shops, or Hobby Lobby. Huh. Okay, I'm not quibbling. If the, so far, I like it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, uh, getting back to West Virginia again, and uh, Joe Manchin in particular, as a lot of Democrats are very angry with him and want to primary him, good luck trying to primary him from the left. Oh, yeah. In West the, Virginia, Is, is the point of this article. They're dinos. They're Democrats in name only. They're quite moderate to conservative. Um, if if a someone to the left of Joe Manchin spills their organic kombucha on their MacBook and wants a Genius Bar appointment, they will be disheartened to learn that the Apple Store locator doesn't even have a West Virginia location in the drop-down menu. But Tractor You're Supply, kidding. but Tractor Supply has five convenient locations throughout the state. Huh. So that's that. But getting more into the uh, the numbers, and I found this quite interesting, quite disturbing on how far apart we are. Not only do we not agree on how to solve problems, we don't even agree on the same set of problems, which I think we know, but how fast it has changed, you might not know. So you look at 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and now. 20 years ago, if you had Republicans and Democrats make a list of their top five most important issues, Republicans and Democrats shared four of the five and had the same number one. Wow. 20 years ago, Republicans and Democrats writing down the five most important issues They would share four of the five, and they would have the same number one. Then 10 years ago, it had eroded somewhat to where they shared three of the issues, three out of five, in a different order. Now, not one overlapping issue among the five. No. That much of a change, that's according to Pew and their questions, that much of a change 20 years In ago, 10 years ago. 20 years? We've gone from, oh yeah, we almost we agree on almost all the issues. We certainly agree on what's the most important issue. We agree on all the rest of the issues. We have different ideas to how to solve them. Now we don't even share a single issue in the top five, Republicans and Democrats. That well, that's, is, that's everything really you need to know about where we are. Now, does how much how much was that, you know, given to us through the media being the way it is, and then we just seek out stuff that tells mm. us what the most important issue is. You know, mm. it's a, what, what do you call that? Where one side feeds the other? Uh, a feedback loop? Yeah, feedback loop. That's exactly what it is. So who started it doesn't really matter. It's a, it is a feedback loop of where uh, the cable news channels try to figure out what, and the, the newspapers and the social media tries to figure out which each group's most important issue is, and then just feeds us that, and then we say, yeah, that is important, and it goes back and forth. As opposed to 20 years ago when it was much more self-generated. Absolutely. I know it's an important issue because I think about it all the time. Yeah. I don't need to be told. That might wow. be the most important thing I've heard in terms of trying to understand where we are. That is, A, just astounding. And B, it you know, speaking of uh, favorite causes, brings me back to why... The centralization of power is so dangerous and such a terrible idea, even on a state level. You know, state governments have become much more powerful, more, uh, you know, policy is decided out of Springfield, Sacramento, uh, Albany, whatever, than used to be. And and the problem is that, and it's so obvious, it's, it's self-evident, people in rural, agricultural, small-town uh, wild America have much different needs and requirements for their government than do people in big cities, big metro areas. 
And they can self-govern quite beautifully, but not if it has to be one-size-fits-all out of some capital. And then when you nationalize it, when you look at Washington, D.C., and the idea that they're, uh, we lacked a national strategy, that, that one governmental body should decide policy for the vast variety of, of the sorts of people in the United States, and that we're demonizing each other because to get the executive branch is so important. So any of you stupid racist rubes who support Republicans, <laughs> I mean, you're just evil. It's not that you have a d- different life and different circumstances and different needs. I mean, it's so unhealthy. God. Well, and then the task for Joe Biden or any president who claims they want to unite the country how are you going to unite a country where all those red counties and blue counties don't even share any of the same priorities as a problem? How would you have a conversation? You can't. Right. Right. You start talking about an issue for one group, and the other group say, why are we even talking about this? As opposed right. to 20 years ago, where you all agree it's an issue. And why are you raising my taxes over this? Why are you restricting my freedom over this? And the resentments grow. So Matt Beyenberg is going to join us in a couple of minutes. He's the Director of Education Policy at the Goldwater Institute. Going to talk about school closers, teachers, unions, school choice, and all of it. We're not going to put up with it anymore. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Time's out. Runway, done. And we need a deal today. We have a finite number of open issues. We need a deal. We need them to actually respond to us. Not <clears throat> move the goalpost again, not add on another a bunch of extraneous issues like defunding the police. Right? Those aren't relevant Did to this issue. Did that come up? It's been on, they've been on a table. Look at their website. They're, they're on there as part of their demand is defunding the police. Absolutely, it's there. Wow. That's, that's Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago saying you can't keep moving the goalpost. Time is up. Um, Arch conservative mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. Well, you got the San Francisco, the city of San Francisco suing the school now to open back up again. So let me read this from the Wall Street Journal just so you understand what's going on. One might wish to believe that politicians such as Ms. Lightfoot or New York City's Bill de Blasio, or I would say San Francisco suing the schools now, are begging the teachers to return out of a concern for the children. Reality check, says the Wall Street Journal. Funding levels for public schools in many cities are a function of enrollment levels. By pulling their kids out of these schools, parents are removing the automatic funding floor, and then these bluest, most lefty, super expensive uh, public employee Towns, this not having the kids in school is not working financially. That's what's driving it. If you, if you were wondering, why are we on the same side all of a sudden? Well, that mm-hmm. explains it. Well, let's get some more explained by Matt Bienberg, Director of Education Policy and Director of the Van Sittert Center for Constitutional Advocacy at the Goldwater Institute. Matt joins us now. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing great. Great to be with you. How are you? Fantastic. Great. Matt, we were pointed to you by our friend Tim Sandifer, who I know you know, and I had tweeted at Tim. I said, you're a lawyer. Can we just fire the damn teachers? He said, you're the guy to talk to. You're uh, an education policy expert. Can we just fire the teachers or the teachers unions or something if they won't go back to schools since their argument for staying out is bunk? 
So that's a question that we, we've gotten a lot, and we've heard from you know thousands of parents who said, "Look, my kids have been out of school for you know the better part of a year, and as we're seeing here, schools in many cases refusing to teach the kids, unions you know, basically doing everything to defy the science, defy the needs of the students, um, and parents basically saying, you know, what what can we do here?" And so we've actually tried to, to make it clear that you know this is larger really than just you know small cases or, or even even just you know litigation. This is not something that's a war on teachers or or a war. Uh, on anything other than really this is about institutions and the union control and the chokehold that they have on these families. And so, you know, you kind of pointed up in, in your opening here, these schools depend on enrollment to continue getting funding, right? And what they have said is, we're going to demand that you continue to give us funding even as we refuse to provide services to your students. Um, and so at the end of the day, you know, there have been teacher strikes in Arizona, West Virginia, a whole bunch of states uh, over the last several years, even states where, where it is illegal. But right now, under the pandemic, in a lot of these cases, it, it's not illegal for the, the schools to uh, try and offer, you know, in-person learning. In, in Arizona, for example, uh, the legislature and the governor said, look, we're going to give the schools a lot of leeway. We really want them to provide in-person instruction, but we're going to give them leeway uh, to operate as they will. And then a lot of those districts turn around and say, yeah, look, even if the science is beginning to show very clearly the kids should be in the classroom, we're refusing to do it. And worse, we're going to fight you tooth and nail if you try to find options for your kids outside of what we're offering you. So, so we get that. But again, we return to the question, can anything be done in the near term uh, in the vein of Ronald Reagan firing yeah. all the air traffic controllers and, and rehiring those who would uh, come correct? Yeah, and again, that's where I think that you see that the, the, the fastest thing that we can do, and you're seeing this across the country and legislatures across the country, where policymakers are actually hearing and saying, we're going to change the way this works. Uh, so legislation has been introduced in states across the country, in state legislatures. You know, education is a state-level issue. And so we're finally seeing people wake up and say, look, our state constitutions guarantee students the right to uh, a quality education, and we don't feel like that that's being met. What we want to make sure is that if the school districts aren't doing this, these parents are not locked in. And so in terms of what people can do right now is get on the phone, make sure that their state legislators here. We want to see results. And what that means is not locking our students into a school that says, look, the teachers or the unions are refusing to come in um, and we're not going to give you an option. If, if that's the case, you need to have access immediately to go to whether it's a charter school to form one of these education learning pods where you can you know, work with other families, have small, safe, in-person learning instruction. Those are things that can happen today. Um, and again, legislation across the country where state legislators are waking up and saying, let's make sure that if the schools aren't helping solve this problem, that we're going to do it in a way. Again, this isn't about uh, waging a war on teachers. It's about waging a battle on behalf of the students and the families. I feel like the teachers unions are winning this battle and are going to win this battle. Uh, even if that's not the outcome I want or you want, is, does it look that way to you? You know, I think the unions are starting to, to wake up. You know, they obviously wield a whole lot of power, um, you know, especially over uh, certain parts of the, the political spectrum. Um, but I think you've seen, you know, even some of the polling that has come out over the last uh, several months, you've seen double digit increases in public support for things like, you know, private choice programs that provide these options for families. And so, you know, before the, the pandemic, just a, a small percentage of families were, were doing things like homeschooling, right? And now today, you know, basically every family found themselves tag teaming with with teachers over the last year, becoming uh, teachers at home themselves. And so the public is starting to realize, hey, things like school choice, we're all part of this. We all need flexible solutions for the students. And I, I do think that the unions have overplayed their hand. You know, there's been a lot of 
you know, there's a great piece out just yesterday in The Federalist, a Democratic lawyer, you know, Scott Street, pointing out, look, the, the unions are continuing to defy the science. Even as there's, you know, emotional, economic, academic costs to these students, the unions are just absolutely refusing to budge. And I think people are starting to realize that when they hear, hey, look, the teachers just got vaccinated and we're still hanging from the union, that that's not good enough. They're, they're still not going to serve the students. I think at some point it really does start to, to erode that, uh, that sort of goodwill that the unions have, have managed to ride for years. And I think that, yes, things are changing. And again, seeing the wave of legislation sort of cascade across the country, I think, is evidence of that. Matt Beinberg is the director of education policy at the Goldwater Institute. Well, okay, so it's a get in touch with your legislator, be in favor of school choice, just work any way you can to eliminate the, you know, the state monopoly on education, which is the uh, evilest of all monopolies. (laughs) You know, I think that that's the kind of thing that's going to bring widespread change to this. Um, And I think that, yeah, the more parents that sort of wake up and say, look, when the unions come out, and as they did a few years ago, you know, voted down a resolution that said, and this is a, just to give you an example, the National Education Association, the largest uh, teachers union in the country, they voted down a resolution that said that we will rededicate ourselves to the pursuit of increased student learning in every public school in America. They then turned around and voted up all sorts of political resolutions having to do with saying we favor white fragility, we favor reparations, mm-hmm. we stand for abortion, you know, under any circumstance. Just nakedly political things have nothing to do with education, and yet refusing to just say, yeah, the most basic thing to say, we commit that what we're doing is supposed to benefit kids, and we're seeing that play out today. Tim said when we were texting back and forth about this topic, and uh, you, Tim Sanifer, said uh, public unions are the biggest mistake democracy has ever made. Would you agree with uh, that sort of sentiment? Um, I would say they are very much up there um, in terms of of what we've seen as the outcomes. You know, again, this is not something that uh, is is there, I I would say, protecting... um, uh, workers are the interests of the public. This is something that is being used really to defy science, uh, subvert the, the needs of students, and essentially just be an obstacle to education. So just one more question about uh, what to do now for uh, parents who are already overly busy. They're t- juggling their professional duties, taking care of their kids, helping their kids learn a little online. Uh, would you suggest they disenroll their kids from the local school district and, and Google uh, or search up... Uh, how to form an educational pod? Uh, is that a good way to go? You know, lots of resources have, have sprung up. There have been Facebook groups on micro schools, learning pods, uh, groups, uh, again, where we're based in Arizona, Love Your School, that you know parents can go on there and it connects them, says, here's how we can walk you through getting in touch with. Because, again, this is a, an issue that families throughout an entire community are facing. and says, look, we can help you get connected uh, with other families, with tutors. Um, there are micro school organizations popping up around the country where, yeah, if, if a family says, look, this is just not working for my kid in the district school, I need help right now today. Yeah, going and doing one of those things, because even with litigation and policy, right, both of these things take time. And so in terms of the immediate solution, it's districts pay attention when they lose students because that's how they get funded. And so if those students go somewhere else, that gets their attention. And so if there are charter schools, private schools, at-home learning opportunities, absolutely encourage families to, to not just sort of sit and wait passively for the union to clean up their act, but to say, look, my biggest priority is for my kids, and I'm going to take action today. Matt Beinberg, Director of Education Policy, Director of the Van Sittert Center for Constitutional Advocacy at the Goldwater Institute. Matt, good to talk to you. We appreciate the perspective. Appreciate you bringing me on. Take care. You got it. Well, if that's what gets people's attention, that the rest of that article in the Wall Street Journal about the number of people who have pulled their kids out of public schools, whether you're going to private school or homeschooling or whatever, in California, K-12 through has dropped 155,000 students. 
a record in a year. I'm sure it is. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure it's by far a record. 155,000 students statewide in California. In New York City alone, 43,000 kids that have left the public school system. Uh, but I wish I was. I wish I was a billionaire, one of those tech billionaires. I I would carve off. I don't know, five hundred million dollars, and then start a little foundation yeah, yep. and say, "Look, you make under X, and your kids are in public school, and you want to get out of the abusive, union-choked public school district that the government forces your kids into." Here, I'll cover your tuition. I would love to do that for people. If only I had the cash. Yeah, uh, about 25% of schools have lost 10% or more of their enrollment. So, you know, that gets to the the pressure that you can actually put on, you know, that's how you got these liberal mayors who are actually sounding tough against the teachers' unions all of a sudden, because it's hitting them in the, where it matters, in the dollars. Yeah. Now, I could get a GoFundMe page going and, uh, and and convince everybody what a noble cause this was, then drain two-thirds of it for my own salary, but uh, I'm not the Lincoln Project, so I won't be doing that. I want to move on to a different topic, so i got to get these numbers on now. We mentioned this earlier. This is huge to know. If you get into an argument with anybody, this is what you need to know. First of all, the Chicago schools alone have gotten uh, an extra $110 million just locally there in Chicago to deal with wipes or masks or ventilators or whatever the hell they claim they need before they're open. It's all a game. They don't actually care about any of this stuff. They just want more and more and more money. But they've got $110 million in addition to the federal money, which I don't know how much was theirs, but according to the Wall Street Journal, finally somebody looked at the numbers. $67 billion have already gone out the door of federal funds to schools across this country to deal with COVID. That's extra money in addition to the money you normally get. $67 billion across this country. So the whole, well, we would open if we could just get some money to open. You've already gotten the money. $67 billion, and only $4.4 billion has been spent. So $67 billion has been sent aside to be able to open the schools they've only spent for. You know why? Because they probably can't even come up with stuff to spend it on. What the hell are we going to spend that much money on? You can only buy so many Clorox wipes. Well, and they're asking for billions more in this new round, even though they haven't spent a, 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 a tidy percentage of the last stuff. It's just a slush fund. I guarantee you that money is not earmarked specifically of course not uh, well even if it is there's a uh, provision in the fine print where or as other uses as uh, designated uh, by it, the teachers it'll be unions. paying teachers pensions and health care and everything for years to come since they'd overpromised, and you know that bill's been coming due for a while they almost overpromised all this stuff uh it makes me so mad makes me so mad uh, here it is. Biden wants to sp- send $350 billion more to state, local, and territorial governments to keep their frontline workers employed, distribute the vaccine, increase testing, reopen schools, and maintain vital services. Even though if your kid is in a school, they probably did it without any of this help. Right. Because you yeah. can. Private schools, charter schools are doing it great, just fine, and it's easy. Uh, the aid, it says, Jack, is intended to be flexible. To my previous point, obviously they'll just stick it in the slush fund or enhance the pensions or enhance the, you know, add four more directors of diversity or whatever the hell else. It's unbelievable. I want to talk at some point about the controversial topic of uh, mocking AOC and her story of how scared she was. Pretty delicate subject. Hashtag AOC Smollett is trending. 
Right. I don't know how I feel about that. We should get into the deets on that one. I'll bring I'll bring you the facts and just the facts. Okay. All right. Have you heard this story? Have you seen this? She put out a video and talked about how she'd been sexually assaulted once and she was having, uh, you know, flashbacks to that as people were hunting for her in the Capitol and blah, blah, blah. Some people are now are calling her a liar and she's got a bunch of facts wrong and et cetera, et cetera. Joe will bring us those facts. The facts. The actual facts. The, yes, sir. The true facts, which are the, the best factual truths. Exactly. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So that president in Myanmar who got overthrown in a military coup is being accused of illegally using walkie-talkies or something like that. Illegally importing walkie-talkies as well. Breaker one night. Breaker one night. <laughs> Can you hear me? Over? Uh, what? Pass the rope. Over? Over? <laughs> you didn't say over, Brian. Sorry. That's not even a good uh, rendition of that classic comedy bit from The Family Guy. We suggest you look for it online. So this has become a bit of a, a political football. It's a tie into the Super Bowl. A political football over the last couple of days, AOC put out a video talking about uh, how she felt while she was in the Capitol when the when the riot happened and talking about a past experience. Here's just a little bit of it. When we go through trauma, trauma compounds on each other. All of a sudden, I hear that whoever was trying to get inside got into my office. And then I just start to hear these yells of... Where is she? Where is she? This was the moment where I thought everything was over. So she, at some point during that video, says she was a victim of sexual assault and brought back memories of that. And it gets a little tearfulish. Yeah, and I heard that and just thought, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't think much. I, I, I think I thought, I'll bet that was scary. Um. I don't doubt that, but it has become then like 24 hours later, real pushback on the, on the right of that she's making it up, she's acting, none of those things happened, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen all kinds of uh, comments and headlines and tweets. Yes. Yeah, there are a number of issues, and I will list them for you. I am taking no strong position on this because there are some some facts I would like to know um, that, that I don't have, but uh, controversy erected in, in, because it people assumed she was uh, implying she was in the Capitol itself. She was at her office, which is in a uh, a building. You can either get to through an underground passage or across the street and walk down the street a little bit. It's in the greater Capitol complex. Uh, her office in the Cannon building uh, is accessible. Da, da, da. Law enforcement did find pipe bombs and Molotov cocktails in the uh, vicinity and uh, staff was told to evacuate uh, the well, area wait, wait during the whole fracas. Wait a second, wasn't she in the in the chamber of the house when they're doing all the voting and listening? No, she was in the Cannon office building. How come she wasn't there? I don't know. She's a it's rep. not my day to watch her, as they say. <laughs> She's know. a rep. Why wasn't she there? Well, you can walk back and forth in ten minutes. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, in response to the incident, the congresswoman said, I did not know if I was going to make it to the end of the day alive. She also accused Senator, Senator Ted Cruz, our tex, of almost having her murdered, touching on accusations that Cruz and others incited the attack through their rhetoric about the election. We really ought to have that clip. Where the hell's that clip? Anyway, 
I can tell you I had a very close encounter where I thought I was going to die. That was, uh, so when she tweeted out about the GameStop thing last time, Ted Cruz tweeted out, I agree. Then she tweeted back at Ted Cruz, I don't need your help. You tried to have me murdered two weeks ago. So that's that's how that. Yeah. Thing okay. Is. Separate thing. Okay. Yeah. So she said, um, "I thought I was going to die." Noting she didn't initially realize the person trying to enter her office was police. "Quote: I have never been quieter in my entire life." She added that the situation quote didn't feel right because he was looking at me with a tremendous amount of anger and hostility, and things weren't adding up. There was no partner there, and no one was, and no one was yelling. He wasn't yelling like, "This is Capitol Police. This is Capitol Police." Now, that that part I uh, have trouble with, the whole, you see a policeman and it makes you scared because she's part of the whole defund the police thing. Right. So he's she's an angry, probably white man. You know, most of us, I think, see a policeman and think, okay, I'm, I'm in good shape here. She sees a policeman and thinks, oh, my God, what is he up to? So Capitol Police have not uh, responded to a uh, request for comment. On Wednesday, the wave of backlash grew. Uh, Representative Nancy Mace blasted media coverage, tweeting that insurrectionists never stormed the hallway she shares with the AOC. The hashtag Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett trended, in apparent uh, comparison to actor Jesse Smollett. Well, would she have known that, though, if she was holed up in a room and there's all the chaos going on? Who was where? Uh, I, I would have been scared. I sure as hell would have been scared. Listen to you. You're, are you on the squad? Siding with her? Oh, my God. Armstrong and Getty.